1: now here's jack riccardi well good afternoon dennis uh so much going on today and uh i heard you talking about i heard i heard joe talking about uh tiger woods that's that's just incredible i don't know if you saw any of it or not but his swing looks as good as it's ever looked and you wonder how that's possible you wonder how somebody i I mean I'm, i'm happy for him we're all happy for him but uh it's just incredible that you could go through what he's been through and have the, the mechanics so good. It's early, but uh, the mechanics look good. But of course, the other big story this afternoon is um, and you've heard this and Dennis reported it, um, Judge Jackson has been confirmed to the Supreme Court by the Senate. Now, this is not a, a you know fall out of your chair in shock story. You, you knew this was going to be the case. But let's just talk for a minute about how this has happened. And I want to, I want to see how you feel about this. I, I, I presume if you listen to this show that you probably don't agree with her jurisprudence. I don't. I, I have nothing against her personally. She seems like a lovely person. She certainly is qualified in the legal sense to, to be on the high court. I, I disagree with her jurisprudence. I disagree with, the way she's ruled historically, uh, on the federal bench and before that and some of the things she's written. Um, but I expect that anybody, uh, a Biden presidency nominates to the Supreme Court would be somebody that would differ from me and would differ from, uh, you know, a conservative's view of the Constitution as a strict document, not a living, uh, document. So, okay, we'll get that out of the way. He nominates. Judge Jackson, who was on everybody's short list if there was a Democratic president. And they had hearings. And the hearings were, in my opinion, now I I know you've heard them described otherwise. I'm just going to tell you, I watched a lot of them when I could. The hearings were pretty mild. No one accused her of being a rapist. No one accused her of getting drunk and doing crazy things at parties. No one, in fact, impugned her personal, uh, character at all. I understand that she had some uncomfortable moments when she was asked to define a woman and that Senator Cruz gave her some grief. But I, I have to be honest, compared to the recent Supreme Court confirmations, in particular, uh, you know, Barrett and Kavanaugh, this was pretty mild. It was also pretty quick. It went very quickly. This is as fast as I've ever seen the Supreme Court confirmation process go. People said that uh, Trump and the Republicans rushed uh, Barrett. I-, I-, I have to say, this seemed even more greased than that did. But again, all of this is because the Democrats won the presidency, and they can do that. Here's the part I want to ask you about. Three Republican senators announced ahead of time that they were going to vote for Judge Jackson. And you know the three, Collins, Murkowski, and Romney. It's not surprising that they would vote for her, although Romney voted against her last year for the federal bench. But what is interesting is that they voted, they announced they were going to vote for her, even though their votes were not needed. Why, I wonder, would they not wait and see if one of the Democratic senators who have been breaking from Joe Biden, Joe Manchin, Kristen Cinema, maybe even Mark Kelly, Cinema's colleague in Arizona, who's up for re-election this year and is, is, is deeply worried about his ties to Biden's agenda? Why not wait and see? if the democrats have all 50 of their votes in place because if they don't then this nomination is over but the republicans didn't wait they couldn't wait to indicate they were on board they were good with this and i just want to see how you view that how you feel about that because you can be sure that if it was the other way around if it was a Republican in a fifty-fifty Senate, the Democrats would have held their, you know, kept their powder dry and would have waited to see. And if they had a chance of stopping the nomination, well, they would have stuck together and done that. And I don't want to relitigate the disappointment people have in Mitt Romney or boo-hoo about Lisa Murkowski. I mean, it is what it is. But it's very telling to me how how fast and how compliant the Republicans were on this. And maybe you think they should have been. Um, but it, it, it could have been different, given how Democrats are defecting from Joe Biden. There was no reason to go into today assuming that they had all 50 of the Democratic senators. 210 599 55. So we'll talk about that. Uh, Speaker Pelosi has tested positive for COVID-19. This is going to be something to watch because sh- she was at that event with President Biden, Vice President Harris, former President Obama. Obama just had it a few weeks ago, but so far from that event, three or four people have come down with COVID, including um, Harris's communications director and now Speaker Pelosi. Um Obviously, we talked about this yesterday. It was breaking at the beginning of our show yesterday, but we've put on the JR poll today. Do you approve or disapprove of Governor Abbott uh, and his plan to bus illegal immigrants to D.C.? And there's really two questions here. Do you approve of, of the plan to do it, and do you believe he means to do it? I had a lot of people write to me last night and this morning and say, you know, on the one hand, I like the idea. On the other hand, I'm going to believe this when I actually see it happening. And, um, there is a tendency among Republicans to do window dressing kinds of things when it comes to immigration and a lot of other issues. The guy that dragged them into a firm position on the border was Donald Trump. But without Donald Trump, and I'm not saying they need Donald Trump, I'm just saying that he was the guy that made them, you know, saddle up on this issue. Without him, Republicans like to talk a good game about the border, but but often don't really do anything about it. And they may be sitting around right now thinking we're going to have a big fall and we're going to have a red wave and let's not rock the boat and all that stuff. But I, I will I will believe it when I see it, because a, I, and I like Greg Abbott personally, but a lot of what Greg Abbott does is what I call wind sock politics. Let's say let's see which way the wind is blowing. Let's see if people are are paying attention. Uh, if I need to do it, if I'm forced to do it, I will. If I'm not, I won't. So he put the word out, and he talked a good game yesterday. He sounded sounded great, sounded on point. Uh, what do you think? 210-599-5555. Um, and then I was um, interested, Don, if we can get the, uh, I want to play this uh, cut number three. Peter Ducey from Fox News was questioning Jen Psaki at the briefing yesterday about something I had never heard of before. Um, Take a listen to this. Cut number three.
2: First on immigration, our
1: team in Texas is uh, saying that you guys are starting to give smartphones to border crossers, hoping that they'll use the phones to check in or uh, to be tracked.
2: Which part of that is supposed to deter people from crossing illegally into the states?
0: Well, I I think you of all people, since you've asked me a range of questions on this topic over time, would recognize that we need to take steps to ensure that we know where individuals are and we can can check in with them.
1: (laughs) You know, that's the argument my daughter made when she wanted her first cell phone. Well, I need a phone so you can check in with me, you can check on me. That was every kid in America has used that argument, right? When you don't want to give him a phone or you're... And I, actually, I wasn't opposed to her having a phone. I just wanted to see what case she would make. But when she made the case for her phone, that was it. And I think every teenager uses that argument. So Jen Psaki is using every teenager in America's argument. She's cribbed off of every teenager in America figures because she works for a plagiarist. Well, we want them to have a smartphone. We're giving illegal immigrants smartphones before releasing them into the United States so that we can keep in touch with them. And we're keeping in touch with them. We're not monitoring, restricting, holding their feet to the fire, making sure they come back for their hearing. We're just keeping in touch. You know, just checking in. How's everything? So that's happening. Did you know that? I didn't know that until I heard this. 210-599-5555. And then the Boston Marathon, one of the oldest marathons in the world. I think it might be the oldest marathon in the world. And I grew up up there, as you may know, and it's a big, big deal up there. It's a day off from school and work, and people line the marathon route. And we all remember what happened in 2013 the um boston marathon has announced that athletes from russia will not be allowed to compete even those that have previously been accepted and and you know are registered in other words they got their they got their number they got their little uh ticket will not be allowed to run in the boston marathon so it's it affects russian uh, and Belarusian athletes who are residents of their country, it's not um, it's not if you're a Russian-American or something, but um, they will not recognize or allow the participation of Russian runners. And the president of the marathon, a guy named Tim Grook, says it's to show our support to the people of Ukraine. Um, I want to see what you think about that. Because it's interesting that you know we were we were um, at war with Afghanistan and Iraq. We were attacked in America on 9/11, not by the government of Afghanistan, although they certainly abetted it. But we made a big deal under the Bush and Obama administrations. We made a big honking deal out of the fact that we were were too good a country, we're not the kind of people that, um, profile or, or, uh, you know, we don't do guilt by association, right? We denounced when there were hate crimes, and there really weren't very many, but when there were hate crimes against Middle Eastern people after the 9-11 attacks, everybody, that's terrible, that's wrong, we shouldn't do that. There's no guilt by association. What is this? <laughs> it's like hating Russia is this sort of simple-minded, ease, everybody can do it. It's like when everybody was wearing red ribbons back in the 80s. I mean, I don't know. I, I And you may not care one way or the other. Maybe you're not a fan of marathon running. I'm not saying I am. But my first thought was that this just has a virtue-signaling kind of feel to it. And um, I, I I am in no way excusing what Putin's done. But Putin's done it. I don't know that some... some person that trains all year and and is a super athlete cuz to be a marathon uh competitor you've got to be not just an athlete you're a super athlete i mean you're superhuman right i don't know that that barring them from a marathon event here in the united states it, it actually is supporting the people of ukraine i it it feels like just joining the crowd you know oh the cool kids are doing this we're going to do it too we used to say uh that the republicans pre-trump were the We tried, party. You know, you'd vote for them. They'd win control of the House or Senate or both, or they'd elect a president. Uh, there'd There'd be all these expectations. Talk radio would have amped up all these expectations, and then they wouldn't deliver. Well, we tried, they'd say. But we need more of a majority, or we need more senators, or you need to donate more money. We tried was their unofficial slogan. And Trump came along, and for all of his faults and whatever else you want to say about him, he was like, no, 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 that's not good enough. We need to win on these issues. When we say we're going to do something, we got to do it. And I think that the, the, the choice now is not about whether Trump comes back or not. The choice now is about whether they go back to being the We Tried Party or not. And this Abbott thing, to me, and I will be the first to... Grovel and apologize if I'm wrong about this. This, this Abbott thing to me feels like a we tried moment. Like when it doesn't really happen, he's going to say, well, you know, we had the right idea, but, or, you know, we were stopped by this lawsuit that the Trump, the Biden administration brought or this other state brought or this other group brought or whatever the case may be. We tried. So do you approve or disapprove of the the busing idea 2105995555 that's on our JR poll today and then uh the senate has confirmed by a 5347 vote a uh, judge Ketanji brown jackson to the supreme court she'll appear with president biden and her family uh at the white house tomorrow morning and um you know it's not really a surprise how this is unfolded other than the fact that it went really fast um but when you look at the Republican handling of this, um, did they make the best use of the 50 votes they have in the Senate? And does it gall you at all that three Republicans came out and said, well, we're going to vote for her, without waiting to see if the Democratic caucus was actually solid? Because those three votes don't matter if all 50 Democrats are solid and and uh, Harris breaks the tie. But those three are hugely important if Cinema or Manchin or even somebody else defects from the Jackson vote. And there's clear signs that Democrats are starting to distance themselves and they're trying to look for ways to put daylight between themselves and Joe Biden, particularly if they're on the ballot, because Biden is going to be poisoned for down-ballot Democrats this year. Esteban is on KTSA this afternoon. Esteban, what do you think?
3: You know, I'm upset, but you could have seen this a mile away. Uh, There are certain Republicans who want to be with the in crowd so much that their value system is gone bye-bye. Romney wants to be praised on Facebook and praised in the media as being reasonable so much that he really has no core value. So him selling out is just like news of him selling out is like telling me it's going to be a hot day in July. And yeah but you know there's
1: a way to do what he's doing there's a way to do what he's doing when it doesn't count so much you know you can you can vote with the Democrats when something is so far you know a done deal that it won't matter and you can get the the you know profile encourage award and all that. but when you don't know if there's going to be a democratic defection, you should wait and see. Because what you did by by three Republicans pre-announcing they were going to vote for her, that told Cinema and Mansion, well, there's no point in us, you know, defecting. We we have no place to go.
4: You said it best. So I just
1: that that to me is what I and and again I don't I don't know if I know I don't, I know I don't know all the inside information. I don't know if there were other deals made, other deals struck, and so forth. Probably were. Um, but it just, this is what the Republicans always used to do before 2016. It's why I'm not a Republican. It's why I don't think you should join a political party unless you're running for office. Be a free agent. Be an independent. Call yourself independent. Be proud of it. Own it. Make them, make whoever you vote for, make that party or make that candidate earn your vote, not presume they have it. Uh, make them nervous about having your vote. Make them worried that they had it last time, but they're not sure they'll have it this time. That's, that's my advice. 210-599-5555. 210 599 All All right, so we're going to talk about uh the governor's bussing plan. We're going to talk about the uh confirmation of 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 soon to be justice Jackson. And then the Boston Marathon says Russian and Belarusian runners will not be allowed at the world's oldest marathon event. Um and as a as a gesture of solidarity with Ukraine I mean, I feel I feel for the Ukrainian people. I admire their pluck and their courage. I do believe they are on the moral right side of this. I have no doubt about any of that. I'm just not so sure that hating everything and everyone who's Russian uh, really is, is where we should be at. Um, the Russians are what we used to call in the Cold War a captive nation. Uh, th- they, they are not the authors of their own government. They didn't, they didn't elect this government. They didn't elect this system of government. They have a, a plutocrat. They have an autocrat. And we usually don't blame people from a country uh, for the government's behaviors or atrocities. It's one thing to blame the government, to hold government officials accountable, to inflict pain on the government of that country. I'm, I'm for that robustly. But this sort of new Hollywood trendiness of hating Russian stuff and Russian people—I don't know. You know, I mean, it, it's—it it doesn't affect me directly, but I, it's just there's a hypocrisy about it that just just is like nails on a chalkboard. So like, really, you you you're proud of yourself now? And they've never done this at the Boston Marathon. They've never in the, its long, long history—it's over 100 years old—they've never excluded a race or nationality or ethnicity. Until now. Would this be the moment for that? Uh Approve or disapprove of Governor Greg Abbott's busing illegal immigrants to D.C. plan. I, this has the feel of a we tried thing, but maybe I'm wrong. I'm a cynic, I admit it. First step is admitting it, right? I'm a cynic. Uh, Republicans like to say stuff that they think will make you happy. Uh And then when it doesn't come to fruition, or they don't pass the bill, or they don't fund the thing, or follow through. They have this sort of shrug, you know, that emoji shrug. they have that like, kind of, well, we tried. You're just going to have to vote more and vote harder and give us more of a majority and we need more good Republicans and we need more. And, and, and it's like, you know, they've been telling you that all your life. But is that really true? And we're talking about the Justice Jackson or Judge Jackson, soon to be Justice Jackson uh, confirmation. That was <laughs> that was not a not a shining moment for you know uh what did it, what was it that uh, Nancy Pelosi used to call it she used to say she was a a ninja legislator she had ninja moves as a legislator you know if i were the republicans i would have wanted to see if there was going to be a democratic defection on that nomination because then it then it's over and um they didn't in fact they announced ahead of time that the democrats needn't worry because they'd have a cushion of extra Republican votes. Um you can be sure if it was the other way around, if the Senate had been fifty fifty at the time of Barrett's or Kavanaugh's nomination, Democrats would not have done that. And maybe you think that's good. Good, I'm glad the Republicans didn't politicize this. Okay. Let's hear that. two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. So um I want to play this for you, um, because this may be one of those saying the quiet part out loud uh, moments. There's an event going on called, it's at the University of Chicago, and it's called the Disinformation and Erosion of Democracy Conference. Disinformation and Erosion of Democracy. And one of the speakers was Ann Applebaum, who um, writes for The Atlantic. She's a senior writer for The Atlantic uh, magazine. She's also a historian and a journalist. She's written a lot about the history of Russia and the Cold War. And a student got up and asked her a question about the Hunter Biden laptop story and how it was quashed and dismissed leading up to the 2020 election, and we've now found out it was a real story. So his question was couched in terms of how can we learn from this? And the answer is there's nothing to learn from it. Just sit down and shut up, said Anne Applebaum. Take a listen.
5: I'm Daniel Schmidt. I'm a freshman at the University of Chicago. My question is for Ms. Applebaum. Um, So in 2020, you wrote, those who live outside the Fox News bubble do not, of course, need to learn any of the stuff about Hunter Biden, referring to his laptop, of course. Uh, A poll later after that found that if voters knew about the content of the laptop, 16% of Joe Biden voters would have acted differently. Now, of course, we know a few weeks ago, the New York Times confirmed that the content is real. Do you think the media acted inappropriately when they instantly dismissed uh, Hunter Biden's laptop as Russian disinformation? And what can we learn from that in ensuring that what we label as disinformation is truly disinformation and not reality?
6: I mean, my, my problem with Hunter Biden's laptop is, I think, totally irrelevant. I mean, it's not whether it's disinformation. or. I mean, I don't think the Hunter Biden's um, business relationships have anything to do with who should be president of the United States. So I, I, didn't fi- I don't find it to be interesting. I mean, that, that would be my problem with the, that as a, as a major news story.
1: Uh, We're going to talk about more of this uh, tomorrow in our first uh, panel. So So she says, I don't think it was interesting. I don't find it interesting, Suzanne Applebaum. I didn't know, and I have a journalism degree, I did not know that journalists only had to cover stories they found interesting. I can remember going to a lot of events, public hearings, news conferences that were dry as sand. They were not interesting to me. I was very much not interested. I was you know, double clutching coffee to stay awake. But I was assigned to cover it. It was news and I covered it. I, no one asked me, Jack, uh, do you find this interesting? <laughs> that's, not the, that's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. So you can hear the disdain, the sneer in her voice. Well, I don't think we need to know about that. Now, the other thing to note here is the story was not examined and discarded. The story was just discarded. Discarded. It wasn't that other news organizations examined or tried to corroborate the New York Post's reporting on the laptop, found that the New York Post had done a slipshod job or was in the tank or whatever. And, and, and okay, there's nothing, this is a, this is a farce. There's nothing to this. They held a pillow over the face of the Hunter Biden laptop story until it stopped moving. Right? even making sure that you couldn't tweet or retweet the New York Post link. I mean, the, the, the big tech decision to smother to death the story almost tells you it has to be a story. Why would you do that if there's nothing there? If somebody's just saying some random crap about somebody and it's there's no support and there's no evidence and it's zany you just don't worry about it you don't go to great pains to make sure no one can ever read it and at this same event another student stood up and asked a question of CNN's Brian Stelter now i usually don't play stuff on this show from brian stelter it doesn't it it feels unfair he he is not just a small guy in stature he's he's mentally a pygmy but this guy asked him about the record of cnn uh, basically getting stories wrong, reporting false and fake news, and just went down the list. I want you to hear the, the, the takedown of Stelter and then Stelter's comeback. Cut number five.
7: Uh, my name is Christopher Phillips. I'm a first year at the college. Uh, my question is for Mr. Stelter. Uh, you've all spoken extensively about Fox News being a purveyor of, uh, disinformation. Uh, but CNN is right up there with them. They pushed the Russian collusion hoax. They pushed the Jussie Smollett hoax. They smeared Justice Kavanaugh as a rapist. And they also smeared Nick Sandman as a white supremacist. And yes, they dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop affair as pure Russian disinformation. Uh, with mainstream corporate journalists becoming little more than uh, apologists and cheerleaders for the regime, is it time to finally declare that the uh, the canon of journalistic ethics is dead or no longer operative. Uh, All the mistakes of the mainstream media, and CNN in particular, seem to magically all go in one direction. Are we expected to believe that this is all just some sort of random coincidence, or is there something else behind it?
4: It's too bad. It's time for lunch. (laughs) You Uh, have 30 seconds. No, I mean, there's a a clock that says 30 seconds, but but I I think my honest answer to you, and I'll come over and talk in more detail after this, is that I think you're describing a different channel than the one that I watch. Uh, but I understand that that is a popular right-wing narrative about CNN. I think it's important when we talk about shared reality and democracy. All these networks, all these news outlets have to defend democracy. And when they screw up, admit it. Uh, but when Benjamin Hall, the Fox correspondent, was wounded in Ukraine, the news crews at CNN and the New York Times stopped what they were doing and they tried to help. They tried to help him get out of the country. They tried to find the dead crew members. That's what news outlets do. That's how they actually do work together, to your question about sharing those kinds of connections and trust. We don't talk about it enough, though. We don't share that reality about how that happens. And with regards to the regime, I think you mean the President Biden? The last time I spoke with a Biden aide, we yelled at each other. So that's the reality of the news business. The people don't see, the people don't hear. They imagine that it's a situation that simply is not. But I think your question, it speaks to the failure of journalism to show our work and show the reality Mm. of how our profession operates. We have a lot of work to do, I think.
1: Okay, okay. So Stelter's, first of all, that answer's all over the place, but it's very telling that the first thing he thought of was, i got to go get lunch. I mean, I can't make up stuff like this. I can't write material funnier than what's really happening, you know? Brian Stelter is in a hurry to get to lunch. Makes its own gravy, doesn't it? He's all over the place. The, 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 the mentioning of, of Benjamin Hall. Well, other news organizations were kind to the Fox News crew when they were wounded. What, what, what does that have to do with any of this? <laughs> what does that have to do with getting every major story of the last five or six years wrong? The kid's question was, you have a pattern of getting things wrong that only goes one way. If that is simply human error, it should be like flipping a coin. It should come up heads sometimes and tails other times. Your, your coin always comes up on the same side. What about that? Why is this, is it time to admit that, that you're really not trying to get some of these things right? And Applebaum pretty much did admit it in her answer. She said, well, we just didn't find it interesting or to translate, we didn't find the Hunter Biden laptop story useful. That's what I think she really meant by interesting we had a mission, it was to throw Donald Trump out of office and replace him with Joe Biden, the Hunter Laptop story could not help us, and in fact might hinder us from doing that. Okay, I just translated it for you. And then Stelter's answer, all over the... So basically, he's telling this young man, as if the the, the kid is, is an idiot, well, you would know that we are doing a much better job at journalisming if we t- explained all the great journalism that we're doing. And, you know, sometimes I even have to yell at Biden people. Yeah, probably because they won't give him seconds at the buffet. It's
4: too I mean, bad. It's time for lunch. <laughs> Got to go get lunch. Poor
1: Brian. Never happier than when he's at lunch or dinner. 210 uh, 599 I mean, good good question. Pathetic answer. Pretty telling, though. Oh, no, 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 we are doing a good job. You just haven't noticed. Two uh, men were arrested this week in Washington, D.C., for impersonating federal officers. And it says that they posed as agents from DHS and offered, uh, gave uh, numerous gifts, including rent-free luxury apartments to U.S. Secret Service agents, including one who worked on Mrs. Biden's detail. The two men that were arrested um, were taken into custody, um, and uh, the luxury apartment building where this was going down was raided. They had false credentials claiming to work for DHS. Uh, They were hanging around with and socializing with actual uh, federal agents. Um, the gifts, and this included everything from apartments to iPhones to alarm systems, a drone, uh, numerous flat-screen TVs, other things, uh, were valued in the high tens of thousands of dollars. He also agreed, uh, or offered rather, to let them use a late-model black GMC SUV that he identified as an official government vehicle. He offered to purchase an assault rifle for a Secret Service agent. That was the one that worked in the Jill Biden detail. Um, I, I, I don't want to speculate wildly, but I'm going to speculate mildly. <laughs> what the hell is this all about? Where did they get the money? What were they trying to do? When you're doing this kind of thing to somebody, right, it, it's the means to an end. The, the gifts are not the end. The gifts and the and the and the befriending are the means to an end. By the way, this all came to light because a postal inspector picked up on something. Now, I did notice that the two men arrested, had Iranian names. Is it conceivable that they were working for the Iranian intelligence agencies or the Iranian government uh, or some other entity affiliated with uh, the Iranians? We've been told for months that the U.S. is on alert for plots against um, Americans originating out of Iran. There was a story last month about Iran plotting to kill John Bolton. And um, I think we talked about it at the time it came out. Maybe we didn't, but the Washington Examiner and their excellent reporter Tom Rogan had that story. So um, remember that under Trump, the U.S. took out Soleimani, the top uh, Iranian um, commander, remember that Iran is an enemy government. I'm talking about the Iranian people. Again, I'm talking about their government. But it does seem like it should be a bigger deal right now that two guys with Iranian names and, and hey, maybe maybe they're from Columbus, Ohio. What do I know? It seems like it should be a bigger deal. Two guys with Iranian names and seemingly endless supplies of money are cozying up to and befriending secret service agents and i don't know what you would call that but if we were to find out and here i'm speculating if we were to find out that uh somebody connected to or bankrolled by the iranian regime was attempting to penetrate or compromise the secret service that that's like an act of war that's a very serious thing now I'm not even touching. And we can get into this. There, there's a lot of evidence already that the Secret Service has issues, that the Secret Service is a is an agency in real trouble. I mean, if, if you go back to when Barack Obama was president, we had those scandals where Secret Service agents were going off and doing things when they were supposed to be sleeping and preparing the next day for his security detail in foreign countries. So there's been all kinds of stupidity, and there's there's. Every indication that political correctness and a lack of leadership has suffused the Secret Service as it has so many other things, it seems like these days. But this is like a whole nother level. This isn't just idiocy. This is, this is treachery if it is what it appears to be. And is this another one of those stories that journalists are just not interested in? We don't need to hear about it. Not interesting. I'm not interested in that. Nobody should be interested in that. So we've been talking on and off. On the show about, um, the, the question, the, the, should we or shouldn't we forgive college loan debt? And there's another piece to this debate. So that's the, the question of should it be done in, in sort of a permanent way? Like forgiveness is forever, right? But the, the government actually has, um, a student loan repayment pause policy, in effect, that they're debating extending. And the pause is due to COVID-19. It was one, one of many things. You remember there was the, the the eviction moratorium and all these other things. There were all these things that were put in place at the time that COVID-19 restrictions might or did prevent people from earning a living, uh, paying their bills, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they had put a, a pause on student loan repayment, and now they're considering extending that And it it just goes to show that COVID has become, I mean, whatever it it started out as, whatever it was when it came out of Wuhan, it has become uh, a fig leaf. It's become a cover to do the things you wanted to do, always wanted to do, previously wanted to do, but now with cover. Well... You gotta be reasonable. I mean, we have to do this. We have to do that. We have to stop this or not enforce that because COVID. I mean, come on. What's the matter with you, man? What are you, a dog-faced pony soldier? And, um, I think it's foreseeable, right? That just about everything they can use this fig leaf for, they are going to do it. Maybe we don't have to decide whether or not to forgive College loan debt. I mean, COVID's always going to be around. There's always going to be some COVID in the atmosphere, in the you know, in the petri dish of life, right? So I'll talk about that a little bit. And and this is a story to watch. This event at the White House that we talked about, where they brought former President Obama in to talk about the Affordable Care Act, as President Biden was issuing an executive order about it. That event, that's the event we talked about yesterday where Biden looked so lost and, and in essence, was ignored by all of the power players in the Democratic Party, including people serving in his own administration, serving in his White House, just ignoring him completely. And it, it makes you wonder if that is not a window into the way this whole presidency really works. That Joe Biden matters when the cameras are on. Joe Biden mattered when... There was an election, but Joe Biden doesn't matter now. Joe Biden's not in charge. Joe Biden's not a guy you want to have your picture taken with or you want to uh, shake hands with because he doesn't really do anything. But now there appears to have been a COVID outbreak at that event. Speaker Pelosi was at that event. Uh, Jamal Simmons, who's the communications director for the Veep, was at that event. And there's some members of Congress that now have COVID-19. I think they said Susan Collins has COVID-19. So, uh, I get, and and look, uh, please understand, I had it. I don't wish it on anyone. It's not to be taken lightly. So I'm not mocking the health of anyone here. But how are we supposed to take the fact that the people that have been hectoring us and lecturing us for two years and really demeaning anyone that dissented or disagreed are themselves in the middle of an outbreak. I mean, I'm not even going to where you could go with this whole discussion, which is that Nancy Pelosi is in the direct line of succession to the presidency. It reminded me when I heard the news about Speaker Pelosi, and I wish her well, I really do, nothing against her personally, but it reminded me of that uh, comment Elon Musk made a few weeks ago that he got a lot of grief for. Uh, But it was something he said that was just very blunt and it was the kind of thing you would say when you weren't watching what you say because you have billions of dollars. He said, this country has ancient leadership. We have ancient leadership. And I think what he was referring to is the fact that the people running the federal government, if you look at the president, about to turn 80, Showing it Um, Speaker Pelosi is I believe 80 Steny Hoyer right behind her is Closing in on 80 Chuck Schumer is in his 70s The most popular uh, Non-President Democrat Bernie Sanders is over 80 Then you look at the Supreme Court Aging and you think to yourself, well, these are the three branches. Yeah, we have ancient leadership, but it means something else to me too. I don't think he's just literally talking about the ages of these people. That that is important, and it, and it may be even more important now than it's ever been before because of the way the world is changing. You know, when things are when things are pretty calm and pretty stable maybe you could say well age is is experience and experience is a virtue and we want seasoned steady hands on the on the tiller and that probably at one time was a very good argument yeah you know gray hair uh, elder statesman you know but you look at what's happening in the world right now the, how dynamic and fast things change how much the need how much of a need there is to grasp and use technology. Are our leaders able to do that? I know they have people around them that are advising them that get all this stuff. But you're asking an 80-year-old to make a decision that maybe is hard to make when you're 80 and this stuff is not native to you. I mean, I'm 56, and it's not native to me in some cases. And... I think he made a really good point. I think that's something to watch. I think this COVID outbreak at the White House event is something to watch. And this Secret Service story is something to watch. Maybe it'll be, be nothing. And I really hope it will be nothing. Because can you imagine for a minute if, God forbid, we had an assassination in this country of some leading figure who was protected by the Secret Service And as has always been the case when Reagan was shot, when President Kennedy was killed, there's always a deep dive into did they do their job? Were they in the right place? Did they do the right checks and, and so forth? Can you imagine if we found out post some sort of terrible event, an attack on our own soil, that Secret Service agents had been accepting gifts from people in an enemy country? That they had cars and apartments and guns and jewelry and electronics from people that maybe were bankrolled by the Iranians? Good grief. They need to get a grip on that. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I want to be wrong about this. 210-599-5555. This is a story that bears watching. And it's all the more interesting to me what kind of puts the extra little fill on it is how blase the mainstream media are about it. I mean, we're not the only ones talking about it, you and me, but but it isn't exactly getting the play I would have thought something like this merited i mean if you if you dig into it and you dive into it and you take it all apart and you say, "Jack is really it just looks worse than it is. It's coincidental the names are okay, but have they done that? And are they factoring in the long, recent record of the brokenness of the Secret Service itself? I mean, again, these are all ifs and speculative, but if you were a foreign entity and you knew that the Secret Service was already having low morale and poor management and poor discipline and poor leadership, which there is evidence to suggest is all there, going back to the Obama administration, I mean, this isn't a new thing. If you were a foreign uh, entity, you'd think this is a good place for us to penetrate. This is a good place for us to get in, make our move. 210-599-5555. You can jump in here, and we have all kinds of things we can talk about, including our poll question today, powered by Stevens Roofing. Do you approve or disapprove of Governor Abbott's plan to bus illegal immigrants to D.C.? I want to be wrong about this one, too, but I think he'll wind up announcing that he meant well, and he thought he could do it, and the plan was to do it, but that Biden-DOJ stopped him, or he got frozen by a legal action, or the, it's something. There'll be some, you know, asterisk thing. And, and, and I hope I'm wrong about it, but if I am right about it, it begs the question, Governor, you were the Attorney General. You were a up-and-coming, bright lawyer in Texas. You became the Attorney General of Texas. You made your political name as the AG before you were governor. You have a team of legal eagles that work for you. If you're telling me that there's some legal hurdle, how could you not know that? Or did you know that? And was this one of those ideas that just sounded so good and that you knew people were just going to love? I mean, people are eating it up. You should have seen my email yesterday. Oh, man, God bless Greg. We've been waiting for this. This is exactly what we need. I hate to think they know they can't do this and they're just saying it. So we'll see. Tell me where you are on that, 210-599-5555. COVID outbreak in Washington, D.C., involving all of the people that have delivered all of the lectures these many months and years—it's weird. It's very strange. Right now, uh, Congress is probably the highest risk group in the country for getting COVID. Members of <laughs> members of Congress are the are, are disproportionately coming down with COVID. Very strange. Hmm. Um. See, a, a mean guy, and I don't consider myself a mean guy, a mean guy would round up all those sound bites, all those times that they wagged their finger and gesticulated and lectured. I won't do that. I, I'll just pass them the Kleenex and hope they feel better in a few days, and they probably will. I wonder if um, the debate over forgiving student loan debt is beside the point. Maybe student loan debt will just be endlessly delayed with emergency orders. You know, you pause it for COVID. COVID comes back seasonally, right? And if COVID doesn't give you the fig leaf you need, you could pause it because of high gas prices. You could pause it because of inflation. If you owe student loan debt, you might not ever have to pay it back, the way things are going, the way the politics of this are going. And I also have to ask, and I, I had a, a guy ask me the other day, why do you care about this? You don't have any. And what do you care if other people, you know, get off this hook? And I'll tell you why I care. And, it, and it's not because I have skin in this game. It's because I'm trying to figure out where this is going. For example, the same things you could say about student loan debt. You could also say about mortgage debt. There are a lot of people who are upside down in their house. Maybe you are. And they're upside down in their house. They bought too much house because the banks approved them. And some people take their approval letter as as if it means you should borrow this much money. That's not what it means. But some people think that I I need to go to that limit. If if, If I qualify for $600,000. I, I need to buy a $600,000 house. And then some people are also upside down because they were sure that their house was an ATM machine. They were sure that you couldn't miss with real estate. That was something that was commonly said. Isn't always true. And we even, what do we call home ownership? What's the, what's the pop culture term for home ownership? The American dream whoa what am I why am I not doing the American dream I gotta go out there and do the American dream what am I not American so you could make the same argument that people were misled they were in, they were falsely encouraged they were um even duped they were marketed to and all the things we say about college loan debt that you people thought it was the golden ticket and they thought they couldn't possibly uh you know, it would be easy to pay it off. You're going to get such a great job with your college degree. And then you could say the same thing about car debt. People are upside down in their cars. And so here's why I think the student loan debt discussion is important. If you can make a moral argument to forgive student loan debt, you can make a moral argument to forgive all debt or any debt. If you think this is something that would only happen one time with one kind of debt, I have a bridge to sell you. And don't worry, you won't have to go into debt for that either. 210 599 That's why I think this is important. And I wonder if it's not going to really come down to some sort of big battle um, or whether it's just going to be something that the politicians keep pausing and, and putting off. And there'll always be something they can describe as a crisis that enables them uh, to do that. In fact, just the word crisis now is so elastic that we aren't even finished with their quote-unquote COVID crisis, and you already have politicians in New York and California declaring guns a public health crisis. They love the COVID idea so much they've already started to use it. They're not even done with COVID, and they've already started to use it for other things, well, you can you could see that same approach with if student loan debt is a is an aberration and a draw a drag on the economy and it ruins people's lives and they were they were manipulated into it or misled into it. Why couldn't you say that about other things? And believe me, someone's going to try. Paul, good afternoon. Hey, Jack. Uh, so I
8: got three quick points on this. Number one. <laughs> The border has been an issue for years and a Republican priority of fixation for well into Governor Abbott's term, even arguably so when he was our AG. Two, as far as the border goes and, the, and these relocations, are they just leading us on, just like they were going to arrest the Democrats during the special sessions? Mm-hmm. And three, and final, my biggest concern Governor Abbott just pulled off a victory with 66% in this primary. I'm thinking he needs to look like he's doing something for this campaign season because Republicans don't have a lot of faith
1: in Mm him. Yeah, no, I think those are all valid uh, valid points. Now, in, in his defense, I suppose you could argue that, yes, it's been a concern for a long time, this Title 42 decision on top of the Biden administration being unlike any previous U.S. administration, uh, would that would justify looking at things you've never looked at before. So I, I, I'll give him that. Um, but I'm with you. Um, I, I have the feeling this is something you say more than something you do.
8: Right. And I think we've seen a lot of that reflected in the past legislative sessions, uh, party-wise and in particular with certain candidates. But mm-hmm. I think Governor Abbott has promised a lot of our priorities as a party and as a state mm-hmm. that, just fell by the wayside. I mean, we had two arguable victories during the session when we could have had ten. We have Republican leadership, we just don't have leadership.
1: Yeah. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, Paul. It's a good point. I'm I'm thinking back to uh, thank you for your call. I was thinking back to uh, Dr. Tim Wesley, who was on our show, I think, Monday. might have been Tuesday. Monday or Tuesday. Uh, Tim Wesley is one of the two Republicans running for land commissioner. There's a runoff for land commissioner. Both parties have a runoff. Anyway, we were talking about the fact that he is one of those rare, um, from the bottom up, grassroots conservative Republicans. He's not an establishment Republican. He's running against one, but he's not one. And he made an interesting point because we were talking about how uh, Abbott mopped the floor with uh, all of those other challengers in the primary, and he said, well, I think a lot of people set out to indicate their disapproval of Abbott or their dissatisfaction with Abbott, but then they get in the ballot box or the, 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 I mean, the voting booth. Hopefully you don't get in the ballot box. You shouldn't be going in there. But you get in the voting booth, and he said you panic because you think, well, if I don't back the guy who has the most name recognition, the most financial uh, strength, you know, campaign uh, treasure chest, if I take a chance on an unproven uh, entity, I might be opening the door to the other party winning. And I think the whole, I have to say, and I'm not putting this on Tim Wesley, this is my opinion. He said that, but I'm going to say this. I think the whole underpinning of the Republican establishment in Texas is that you have to stick with them, because otherwise you'll get Beto O'Rourke as governor, or you'll get Wendy Davis as governor. Or you'll get, you know, whoever, you know, whoever the Democratic nominee is. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? No? Right? Well, then you better get in line. You know, we're the only other game in town. We're the only thing protecting you from that. And it works. So, to his credit, he's done a lot of good things. But saying something like this, if you already know you can't do it or it can be stopped or it is a it'll be symbolic you know you'll you'll send a few bus loads and then that'll be it if that's what this turns out to be that is deeply cynical and you're playing with fire if you keep doing that with people if you keep doing the well we tried approach in fact that's how we got donald trump we got Donald Trump because people were tired of Republicans saying, gave it our best shot. You know, when I was a kid, they I, I, I didn't rent cars, but I remember for whatever reason it stayed in my head. The two big rental car companies were Hertz and Avis. And there probably were others, but it seemed like they were the only two. Do you remember the ad campaigns for Hertz and Avis? They were very aggressive ad campaigns, and they had celebrities. They had O.J. Simpson. at all these celebrities, and um, Hertz was the number one car rental company. I don't know if it still is, but it was. Everybody knew that. Avis was number two. Everybody knew that. And the reason everybody knew that is because Avis told you that in their ads. Somebody at Avis or their ad agency had the genius idea of saying, we're number two. <laughs> what? Why? Why would you want to say that? Why would you brag about that? Well, the, the the reason they said it was because they were trying harder. Avis's campaign pitch was because we're number two, we will do more for you. We'll give you more service. We'll be we'll be nicer. We'll be whatever. Number one doesn't try hard because they're riding resting on their laurels. We're we're going to try harder because we're number two. I don't know if that worked for them or not, but that was a very iconic sales pitch over a very long period of time. The Republican Party has been like Avis for years. Always on the outside looking in. We try harder. (laughs) We're trying. Just give us more people. Send us more money. Give us more members. Give us a bigger majority or give us the majority. And, you know, I think more and more people are just like, no. First, do what you said you would do. First, show me you're made of that stuff you claim to be made of. Then maybe I'll come across with more. And that's, that's how you got Donald Trump. And that's how you'll get the next Donald Trump, whoever that is. 210-599-5555. Pete is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Hi, Pete.
2: Hey, Jack. Um, I just wanted to tell you one thing, man. I'm going to vote for Greg Abbott because he's not Beto O'Rourke, and that's not how any choices. Greg Abbott Greg Abbott.
1: The okay, we're losing. Pete, I'm sorry. We we'll, we had a bad sell. Call me back. We'll try it again. We were getting like uh only one out of every three words there. So, try me again 210-599-5555. Yeah, I I um I I I think it's interesting by the way all this talk about um will Trump run again or will it be DeSantis? And the other day, Trump said something interesting. He said, well, I, I can't imagine that DeSantis would run against me. Um, I'm just going to tell you what I think, and, you know, this is my opinion. Why would you waste DeSantis as Trump's running mate or even as his vice president? He has shown you that he gets it. He has governed with a track record in Florida i don't I'm not a Republican and they don't care what I think, but i don't really know why they would not go with him in twenty twenty four it's seldom been more clear that that was what a political party needed to do i mean every so often there's a there's an election where one party or the other just clearly has its person, and there's just no there's just no you know there's no doubt about it um and you know Trump opened the door and trump Blazed the path, and he'll always get the credit for that, and he should. And I'm I'm quite sure that Ron DeSantis, as a candidate or as president, would would fully uh, uh, credit him. But why would you put that guy on ice for four years or eight years, or why would you want to even try to do that? It's very strange to me. Just my thought, you know. I I think when you have when you have the right man for the moment, as as things are. Developing and as affairs are going, um, seems kind of weird that you would pretend you didn't know that. Uh, I think we have Pete back, hopefully, with a better uh, connection. Pete, you wanted to talk about the governor?
2: Yeah, I'm going to reluctantly vote for Greg Abbott. He's not Beto O'Rourke. So, you know, I mean, going to vote for him. I wish he had more leadership. I think yesterday is what I was looking for with his speech. You know,
1: do you believe he will do it?
2: um i'll see it when i believe it yeah, i mean he said a lot of things that he's not done um but i'm gonna go ahead and hold my breath and if he does it then you know he does it And uh, more kudos mm-hmm. to him i agree right. with him send him to washington what did they mm-hmm. know about uh, up there in dc and virginia i used to live right. in the Beltway. let me tell you they don't know anything about illegal immigration i mean we deal with it every day ramifications down here in texas what do they deal with it over there? Right. I mean, you know, Virginia, Northern Virginia, D.C., they're they're insulated from all that. So if Greg right. Abbott does send him to, to to D.C., hey, he's definitely got my vote. But I'm going to vote for him anyways. I wanted to, I wanted Alan West to win, but Mr. Huh. West didn't win, so I'm hmm. voting for Greg Abbott. Okay, Because I just
1: don't want you want to stop Beto O'Rourke. Or yeah. Okay, I got you. Uh, Jody is on KTSA. Hi, Jody.
2: Hi,
0: how are you?
1: Good, how are you doing?
0: I'm good. Um, I was just calling because, I mean, I think Abbott's all talk. He could have done something about the border a long time ago. But what he's doing is wrong. I mean, that's wrong. I mean, everybody's saying ship them here and ship them there and bust them here and bus them there. We're talking about human beings. These aren't toys. They're not pawns. They're human beings. And we can't just ship them, I mean, they're just going to take, put them on a bus, and open the door and kick them out on the Capitol. Well, that's meeting. what the
1: federal government is doing.
0: Well, that's not right either. I mean, I okay. don't. That's
1: horrible. Okay. They need but to, I mean, I, I just to want to make sure you no, understand. Sure. Hold, hold on, I just want to make sure you understand the the use of these men, women, and children as pawns is already happening. You know that?
0: Oh, I agree. Oh, yes. Biden has, has opened the border and using
1: them as bonds. And, and what I'm saying is two wrongs don't make a right. Okay. Well, how no, do you get the attention? Have- so then how do you, Jody, how do you get the attention and bring home the urgency and the pain? This is causing border communities. We had ranchers calling in this week, telling heart-wrenching stories. How do you bring that home to people in the Beltway?
0: I don't, I don't know. I honestly don't have an answer for that. Um, what's happening at the border is terrible. What's happening to the ranchers, them, I listen to your show every day, them finding bodies and drugs and their, you know, their livestock getting out and it's ruining their livelihood. That It's horrible. And, and I, I would never vote for Beto ever. Um, but I, I don't know the solution, but I, I don't know that treating these people this mm-hmm. way is right either.
1: Something about it doesn't sit right with you. No, I hear what you're saying. I I think that's an interesting point. I've not heard anyone else say that. I'm glad you did, Jody. Thank you. Uh, Stan is on KTSA. Hi, Stan.
3: Hey, Jack. How are you doing?
1: Good, sir. How are you?
3: Pretty good. I I think, uh, well, this stuff with him, uh, you know, talking about buses, that's been on Facebook for the last seven, eight months, people suggesting that. But I think what he should have done was uh, done this overnight, and loaded them up uh, like like the federal government does, and then the next day say, guess what I just did. I think that would have served a purpose and, uh, and because the, the way he's doing it now they he's just leaving himself open for lawsuits and they're going to postpone it, and I guarantee it that it won't happen uh, the election unless comes,
1: un- the election unless happens. yeah but but now that's a great point, but let me play devil's advocate with you. What if you want credit for saying it? But you don't really want to have to do it.
3: Exactly. Then, exactly. Then you would
1: then you would handle it exactly the way they've handled it.
3: That's exactly right. That's what I'm saying. It it, it won't it'll postpone it lawsuits or whatever until after the election. He says, Well golly, I was gonna do that, but these lawsuits have held it up. But
1: we're, can I we're up Avis, we're number two and we try harder.
3: Exactly. Can I can I bring up another thing on this stuff? On these phones?
1: I have a Oh, uh, free uh, smartphones, yes
3: yeah yeah uh i'll I'll give you an example i wonder who does the contract who contracted to uh you know to provide all these phones because i'll Mm -hmm. give you an example my wife was an administrator at the health science center years years ago and they were you know they provide them with phones and uh she went ahead and got she waited waited so she went and got her own phone it was like 199 dollars when the procurement guide you know Told her, hey, I got you a phone, and she says, "Well, I already got one." He says, "Well, I could have gotten you a deal because I buy thousands of them. I get them for like six hundred bucks." She <laughs> says, well, "I got mine for one hundred and ninety nine dollars." She says, "I got mine for one hundred and ninety nine dollars." He says, "How'd you do? How'd you do that?" And she says, "Well, I called down there and I got it for one hundred ninety nine dollars."
1: Oh, made, you know he we're he was, not getting six, the you know <laughs> we're not getting the low ball price. You know that.
3: <laughs> yeah, he was paying six hundred bucks piece for these. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure those phones will only be used to keep in touch with DHS. I'm sure that's the only thing. How much is is a
3: monthly bill going to be on these things?
1: There you go. There you go. Great call, Stan. Good to hear from you. Stan's point about uh, do it in the middle of the night, don't announce you're going to do it. If you think about it, the Biden administration has done all of this that way. So everything they've done to betray border security to, um you know, bus and fly illegal immigrants into the interior of our state and our country. Every one of those things is something that we found out about after it had already happened or had begun. So they did what Stan is saying. They said, these are not popular ideas, but we're going to do them. Let them try to stop us. Governor Abbott, bless his heart, Announces what he's going to do and the wheels are turning to make sure that will never happen. And I don't know if he sincerely believes he can and will do this or if he, if he is a cynic. I, I'm not, I'm not saying I know. I'm just saying I'd have to see it to believe it. And I'm a little skeptical when you don't, uh, take advantage of that sort of X factor. That the Biden administration did. Yeah. I mean, I know as a candidate, he talked a good game about, um, being kinder and being less Trumpy about the, bo- but, but, but people I don't think knew in specificity how open this border would be. And that the, the whole business of people turning up in Milwaukee and Toledo and all these places far removed from the work plane loads and bus loads of people in salt lake city and all this this was all done and a done deal and then you found out about it then you called your local talk show host or then you complained to your member of congress but it already happened big story today confirmation in the senate for judge katanji brown jackson to be uh, on the supreme court uh, she's going to appear with President Biden and her family at the White House tomorrow, and we don't know what the schedule is for swearing her in, but she's been confirmed by a 53 to 47 vote. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. Uh, three Republicans pre-announced they would vote for her. Uh, those are uh, Senators Mitt Romney, Susan Collins, and Lisa Murkowski, Utah, Maine, and um, Alaska, respectively. Um, look, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what's in their hearts and on their minds and all that, but it's interesting just to think about the strategy of this. If you've got 50 Democratic senators, but these days that has not often, that has not translated to 50 Democratic votes for the Biden agenda or wish list, why wouldn't you, even if you are a Republican who just had their socks knocked off by Judge Jackson, why wouldn't you just wait and see if there is a mansion or cinema or John Tester or some other Democratic defector, somebody that says I got to I got to put some distance between myself and this Joe Biden? He's killing us. I'm on, I'm on the ballot. I'm running for re-election. Mark Kelly in Arizona is uh, running as fast as he can away from Joe Biden because the numbers don't look good for him in Arizona. And I I just wonder if that wouldn't have made more sense. Why don't they do that? And when I think about this whole thing playing out the other way around, I'm pretty sure that is exactly what the Democrats would have done. That even if they had been empathetic toward or leaning toward a nominee of a Republican president, not Trump, because that would have been, you know, toxic, whatever, you know, knee jerk reaction but but i mean in a more typical situation i think they'd have said well let's wait and see cuz we can vote with the we can vote with the dems if our votes are not needed by the republicans and do all the virtue signaling we want but why don't we first wait and see what the lay of the land is there was no reason for mansion or cinema to defect once they knew that their votes could not change the outcome. 210-599-5555. Just want to get your thoughts on that, how you sort of view that or feel about her confirmation. And then we've talked a lot about the governor's decision about charter buses, illegal immigrants to Washington, D.C., and asking you about that on the JR poll. A lot of people like the idea. Not so sure it's really going to happen. Get back to me when there's actually buses rolling. Jody just said before the news, she doesn't like the idea because it feels like we're using people to make a political point. Get your reaction to that. 210-599-5555. Oh, I made a mistake last night. I want to correct. And I knew I, as soon as I said it, I knew I had it wrong, but it was the end of the show. We ran out of time. We were talking about Bobby Rydell, the 50s and 60s, uh, teen idol singer who died this week. Um, I mentioned that Rydell High School, was named after him. It was not in the movie American Graffiti. It was in the movie Greece. Rydell High School is the fictional high school in the movie Grease. So. That, I mean, as soon as the show ended, I'm like, oh, I gotta wait 24 hours to fix that. 210 599 5555. And then we had, um, there's this, this forum, this seminar going on at the University of Chicago, and it involves, um, People in academia, people in journalism, people in the commentariat. Um, It's being hosted in part by um, David Axelrod. And it's called the Disinformation and Erosion of Democracy Conference. Disinformation and Erosion of Democracy. Well, we're all against disinformation, and we're all against the erosion of democracy. So Ann Applebaum, the the senior correspondent for The Atlantic and a Pulitzer Prize-winning author and historian, is up there with uh, David Axelrod, and and a student asks her a question about the Hunter Biden laptop story. And here is the question, and here is the sneering Ann Applebaum answer, cut number four. I'm Daniel Schmidt, I'm a freshman at the University of Chicago. My question
5: is for Ms. Applebaum. Um, So in 2020, you wrote, Those who live outside the Fox News bubble do not, of course, need to learn any of the stuff about Hunter Biden, referring to his laptop, of course. Uh, A poll later after that found that if voters knew about the content of the laptop, 16% of Joe Biden voters would have acted differently. Now, of course, we know a few weeks ago, the New York Times confirmed that the content is real. Do you think the media acted inappropriately when they instantly dismissed uh, Hunter Biden's laptop as Russian disinformation? And what can we learn from that in ensuring that what we label as disinformation? information is truly disinformation and not reality.
6: I mean, my, my problem with Hunter Biden's laptop is I think totally irrelevant. I mean it's not whether it's disinformation or I mean I don't think the Hunter Biden's um, business relationships have anything to do with who should be president of the United States. So I, I, didn't fi- I don't find it to be interesting. I mean that, that would be my problem with the, that as a, as a major news story.
1: Well, let me, let me, uh, let me recap. It's totally irrelevant. I just don't find it interesting. Please, I can't be bothered. I mean, who the hell are you to decide whether or not it's interesting? Is that the, is that the criterion in the, in the newsroom? Well, we're not going to cover this story. People don't need to know it. It would just bore them. And as far as Hunter Biden's business relationships, look, I could make an argument that they don't matter or I could make an argument that they do, but you guys have already established, thanks to the Trump family, thanks to the Bush family, that uh, actually the activities of family members do matter, are newsworthy. And in particular, the Hunter Biden thing, it is, Hunter Biden... Himself doesn't have a business. We're not, we're not talking about some guy that owns a chain of subways, right? Hunter Biden's business is Joe Biden. Hunter Biden's, and business is way too formal and dignified a word. But Hunter Biden's moneymaker, okay, is dad. What else has he got going? Have you seen this guy? It's not the painting. I'll be, I, I will leave it at that because I don't have any artistic talent either. It's not the painting. If he was, if he was, if he had to live on the paint, he'd be a starving artist, literally and figuratively. It's not the painting. It's not his winning personality or his stellar character. It's not his ways with the ladies. I mean, he's, he's pretty skanky. All he has going for him is the big guy. That is his business. So I don't know, when you say that's not interesting, I don't know any other way to take that than your only interest is making sure Joe Biden gets elected in the fall of 2020. You're not interested because you've already got a narrative. You know, that this would be like if um, the police decided who was guilty, and then only gathered evidence to support the guilt of the person they had decided did the crime. And maybe they do that sometimes, but obviously, in theory, ideally, they would let the evidence lead them, right, in an investigation, say, into a murder or something, right, or a serial killer. We're going to let the evidence lead us. And that's what students and scholars do, right? When you're when you're um, studying something or conducting a, uh, a a test of a of a procedure or a drug, we're gonna let the evidence lead us. Okay, so what Ann Applebaum is saying is it's not interesting because the only things that are interesting are the things that buttress what we're trying to get people to believe. That's not journalism. That's marketing, and it's it's fine in marketing to ignore things that are not good for the marketing of the product and only tout the things that are. But that's marketing. Anne Applebaum, you're a saleswoman for Joe Biden. You're not, you're not a journalist, which is totally irrelevant.
6: I didn't find I don't find it to be interesting. I mean that that would be my problem with the that as a mm-hmm. as a major news story.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't find it to be interesting. Okay. Um. Isn't in fact, isn't part of the challenge if you're like an investigative reporter? I mean, I'm thinking back to like, and I know this is a bad analogy, but like when you watched all the president's men, those guys are like burning; they're like on fire, right? Like, we gotta get people; we gotta get show people what's going on. We've got to tell them the story. I mean, that's what you want, right? You want that that investigatorial zeal. That says I, I I can't sleep I can't eat this is so all consuming and when we tell people they're going to feel the same way they're going to feel the sense of urgency we're going to let the the facts lead us yeah and Applebaum is the opposite of that she's just not titillated by Hunter Biden's laptop pun intended so um the other day the Prime Minister of Great Britain Boris Johnson was um speaking on the issue of uh, transgender athletes, Uh, and he said, I don't think biological men should be competing in women's sports. I don't think biological men should be competing in women's sports. And he also expressed concern about children making or being deemed competent to make decisions about their gender, or irreversible treatments about their gender. He said, we'll continue to have a ban on gay conversion therapy, therapy, which to me is utterly abhorrent, but there are complexities and sensitivities when you move from the area of sexuality to the question of gender. There, I'm afraid, there are things that I think still need to be worked out first. Seems very reasonable. Um, a man whose daughter swims at UPenn has said in an interview that the female swimmers on the team with Leah Thomas were told to get over it, that's a quote, when they complained about being able to see Leah Thomas's male um, junk in the locker room. Father of one of the swimmers, has claimed in an interview, the school told the women to just get over it. Uh, He says the school breached trust and failed to protect his daughter and the other young women, allowing Leah Thomas, a.k.a. Will Thomas, to compete on the women's team. In the interview with the Washington Examiner, which he gave on anonymity, on the condition of anonymity, he said, quote, I can't say she's been traumatized, but there was definitely a breach of trust and a failure on the part of Penn to protect her. The girls were told that Leah would have her own separate space somewhere. For some reason, that obviously changed. I'm not sure why it changed. Regarding Leah in the locker room, he says female swimmers who had issues were told to, quote, get over it. We've, we've really come a long way uh, in feminism. You know, um, I, I guess if you live long enough, you, you see everything. All my life, I have heard women strongly demand equality, demand access. Um, there was a, a, a tremendous legal and legislative and political and moral battle in the 60s and 70s, to establish and fund women's sports. The, the locker room he's talking about came about, I, I think it's safe to say, because of those feminist demands. Imagine if somebody had told them to just get over it. You're not going to play sports. You're not going to have a swim team. You're not going to need a locker room because we're not going to let you play. Get over it. This is trending again. This this happened last, uh, I think it was December. Uh, Mark Robinson, who's the lieutenant governor of North Carolina, was speaking at a uh, church. He was the guest pastor at a church. And he was talking about the transgender issue. Now, mind you, he's speaking at a church. He's speaking as a man of the cloth, but he's also the lieutenant governor of his state. This is what he said at the time. Take a listen to this, cut number two.
9: Here's something else I'm not supposed to say. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. And I can already see WRL out there. They got they licking their pencils around, trying to write fears they can't. Get every word of this here. Get every word of this. You can go to the doctor and get cut up. You can go down to the dress shop and get made up. You can go down there and get drugged up. But at the end of the day, you were just a drugged up, dressed up, made up, cut up, man or woman. You ain't changed what God put in you, that DNA. You can't transcend God's creation. I don't care how hard you try. The transgender movement in this country, if there's a movement in this country that is demonic and that is full of the spirit of antichrist, it is the transgender movement. It's time for grown-ups and time for Christians to start standing up and being unafraid to tell the truth. Come after me if you want to. I don't care. You want my head? Here it is right here. Come on, come get it. I don't care because it's time for us to stand up. Now, I'm not afraid to stand up and tell the truth about that issue. they dragging our kids down into the pit of hell trying to teach them that mess in our schools. Tell you like this, that ain't got no place at no school. Two plus two don't equal transgender. It equals four. We need to get back to teaching them how to read instead of teaching them how to go to hell. Yeah, I said it, and I mean it.
1: Okay. Um, That doesn't sound like a we try harder Republican to me. Mark Robinson from North Carolina.
4: Too bad,
1: it's time for lunch. Oh, Tater, don't ever change, Tater. 636 on 550 and 1071 KTSA. This half hour, the results on the Stevens Roofing Jr. poll. People are voting on the question tonight, do you approve or disapprove of Governor Abbott's plan to bus illegal immigrants to D.C.? And we'll see how you voted across all of our platforms here in about 20 minutes. Um... Cambridge um, University is one of the outstanding, prestigious schools for training Latin teachers, teachers of Latin, the so-called dead language. I'm a big fan of Latin. I took Latin in high school, and I recommend it. If your kids have a chance to to, uh, take Latin as a foreign language, I, I really encourage it. I'll just I'll tell you why I'll tell you why very quickly you can pick up a a modern foreign language like Spanish or Italian or French or something you know in your own time there's all this technology with which you can do that very quickly now uh self-taught but Latin is not a language you learn so that you can go order a meal or <laughs> get a taxi in Latin uh you learn latin because it it teaches you to be much more fluent in english it it strengthens and deepens your vocabulary and your and the power of your vocabulary and so um cambridge university is um considering changing the way they train teachers to teach latin and the reason is because latin has a lot of uh, when you when you learn Latin you you do a lot of translating that's how you pick it up. But again, it's not much of a conversational language. It's hard to talk about stuff in Latin. So you do these translations. Well, the translations are about war, and they promote stereotypes about men and women. They talk about conquest and occupation and slavery and uh, they objectify women so this uh, gentleman who trains latin teachers at cambridge university says we're going to start translating taylor swift lyrics instead i'm not i'm not kidding you know by now when i say something like this i'm not kidding taylor swift lyrics i'm nothing against taylor swift but there was nothing between war and Taylor Swift. You had to go right to Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift in Latin. <laughs> I'll never see it. I'll be dead by the time that's going on. Um, I've been talking about Pope Francis very much lately. He has been. Um, you, you may or may not know this about me, but as a Catholic, I, I definitely have some issues with him. And if you know any Catholics, chances are you know at least one Catholic. Who's pretty uneasy about the head of their church, and I'm. I'm. If you don't, then you know one now because I am. Um, he he has said a lot of things that have, that are disturbing, uh, that I think are misleading. Um, and I don't I don't think he's a bad person. I think he's the product of the country he comes from and the culture he comes from. And anyway, he's making a lot of sense about Ukraine. And the other day, he held up a flag from one of the communities where there have been war crimes. It had been brought to him by some pilgrims. And he kissed it and blessed it. It was a very powerful piece of video. I happened to see it online. It was a, it was a leadership moment. It was a good moment. It was a, it was a John Paul II kind of moment. For Pope Francis. Now, the Vatican is not just the Pope. It's also diplomatic. It's a government, right? So it has diplomatic relations. It, it treads very carefully around a lot of things like this. And the Vatican officially is trying to set itself up to eventually be a peace negotiator or an arbiter between Ukraine and Russia in the way that the Vatican has done or has attempted to do in other conflicts in the past. But the Pope agreed publicly and rebuked publicly the United Nations, as Zelensky did in his speech to the United Nations, in talking about the what he called the increasingly horrendous cruelties being committed against civilians and defenseless children. And remembering that following World War II, an attempt was made to lay the foundations of a new era. He said, that In the current war in Ukraine, we are witnessing the impotence of organizations like the United Nations. That's a pretty powerful thing for him to say. Good for him. I'm glad he said it. It reminded me of, and I don't know if you've heard this before or not, when. John Paul II became Pope. He was elected in 1978. And not long after, the uh, Russian showdown in Poland began to play out. Remember, they had that Solidarity Labor Movement, and eventually the Polish government collapsed, and the Russians put in a puppet regime. And there was the threat, as Reagan came into office in '81, there was the threat that the Russians were going to roll into Poland. I can tell you if you were alive in that period, you remember that people were specifically worried about Poland going through what Ukraine is going through right now. I mean, this is what you're seeing on your screens is what people thought we were five minutes away from in Poland in 1980 and 81. And here is this Polish Pope who is Charismatic and powerful. And there was a plan, heartily endorsed by John Paul II, and strongly opposed by the Vatican's own, you know, sort of deep state, if you will. You can call it that. John Paul II wanted to go to Poland and just stay there. He said, let them. I'm paraphrasing, I don't know his exact words, but his his position was, I'm going to be there and let them try bombing our cities or launching artillery or invading. I'll be there. They'll, They'll kill me. He really believed they wouldn't do it if he was there. And he really believed the strongest thing he could do to defend Poland and freedom, was to put himself right in the middle of the, the threat. In fairness, JP two was very young. He was elected in his 50s. This pope is in his, I think, mid to late 80s. I wonder what Vladimir Putin would do if Pope Francis was in Kiev. I wonder if Pope Francis would go there. I don't wish anything bad to happen to him, don't get me wrong. But that would be an incredibly powerful statement. And that would throw down the gauntlet for Putin in a way that really no, no Western government has been able to do anything. And I don't just mean President Biden. No Western government has been able to do anything, anything, to make Putin so much as hesitate. And I don't know that he would even with this. He might he might think, well, fine. <laughs> we'll, think, we'll, we'll get rid of him while we're at it. I don't know, but I just I, I think back to the example of JP two. If if he had been in Poland, I don't think the Russians could have would have risked being responsible for killing him. Now the irony, of course, of this story, you know probably already know where I'm going with this. The irony is that the Russians tried to kill him anyway. Because the assassination attempt against him in 81 turns out to trace directly back to the KGB. They used the Bulgarians as a cutout, and they had a Turkish guy, but it was, it was a KGB plan. That's how, that's how strong his moral authority was, and how much of a threat it was, and how much of an obstacle it was to Russian ambitions and designs. And Reagan and Thatcher rightly get a lot of credit for unwinding the Cold War, but, but Pope John Paul II deserves a lot of it as well, because he was a real problem for them, coming as he did from that part of the world at that moment. Pope Francis is not from that part of the world. He doesn't have the natural connection to Eastern Europe, but the, the, the rumor that he would go to Kyiv was intriguing to me. And uh, it does make you wonder. It probably would happen without any advance notice. Like we would find out one day he's there. That's probably the only way you could get him there. Stay tuned. On the JR poll tonight, powered by Stevens Roofing, do you approve or disapprove of Governor Abbott busing illegal immigrants to D.C.? 94% approve. But again, with that comes the caveat that some people are not sure he really will do it. They're approving of the Idea, they're taking the wait and see on the, on the action. Um, remember the movie Contact. You remember that movie, and maybe many other movies like it. But that's the one that kind of popped into my head when I read this next story. And of course, it's about the all of the energy and efforts and and um, idea of tuning into the universe. For those of us who believe there's, there's, there, have, there has to be some other life out there or some other life form or society or something out there. Um, apparently, NASA is again going to do a broadcast to the universe. I remember when I was a kid, uh, National Geographic had a story about this. We were doing this in the 70s, and I'm sure we've done it many other times. Scientists are planning to beam a radio message into deep space with detailed information on human life. And it's controversial. Let me tell you what they're planning to do, and then I'll tell you why it's controversial. The message NASA wants to broadcast into the universe will show pictures of the Milky Way with arrows indicating Earth's position in relation to recognizable formations, and star clusters. It will also depict naked humans. Hmm, I wonder how many genders. Along with a model of our DNA structure and a map of the world with the continents and oceans all labeled. The idea being that if there's an intelligent species out there, they could decode the signal and they would recognize where it came from. So we're sending them directions to our house. And therein lies the problem. Many scientists, including uh, the late Stephen Hawking, uh, think this is a terrible idea. Because they say, how do we know what the intentions or mood or response will be? Like, what if we are showing the way to Earth to people that will see Earth as a threat or a danger, or humans as as da- you know we're we're dangerous, we're crazy. Look at them down there. And he his attitude, and Hawking's attitude, and others was, look, they may find us anyway, but we shouldn't help them. We shouldn't call attention to ourselves. So they, there's some scientists who believe we should keep our head down and mind our own business. You know, like you'd, you're in a situation where there's some trouble brewing and you're like, I'm just going to keep on walking. And then other people say, no, no, come on, we should we should be curious and eager and open. The other night, Independence Day was on television. That didn't work out so well. about Mars attacks? I wonder if our attitude about um, extraterrestrial life has been warped by popular depictions of it, right? Like, almost all movie and literary depictions of extraterrestrial life are about it being hostile or dangerous or predatory. And and I get why that is. It makes a better movie. It makes a better story, right? In almost all of them, it's, it's going to colonize us. It's going to slaughter us. It's going to... Probe us. But maybe that isn't really the only outcome. That does seem to be the fear of people with this NASA broadcast. And I also can't help but thinking, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be a wise-ass here, but th- this, this is not the moment and this is not the administration that you want describing human beings to people. They don't know what a woman is, they don't know what a man is, they don't know how many genders there are. I mean, if we're gonna explain ourselves to extraterrestrial societies, shouldn't we have people doing the explaining that have all the right (laughs) answers that get it? These are not the people that get it. In fact, they're very proud of the fact that they don't get it. So, it's gonna happen. Just thought you'd want to know. Just keep it in mind as you go about your business. It's nothing you need to worry about, right? I still don't even know if we need to give them directions to Earth. Like, man, if they can't find Earth without our help, how advanced can they really be, right? Gonna see you tomorrow at four. The dish at six. Have a good night.